Welcome to the Podcast of Podcasts, a podcast that takes a moment to talk to podcasters about podcasting. The music for the intro is Funkers by Crowander, and it's provided under the Creative Commons content license. Our guest today is Dr. M. Elizabeth Thorpe of Chiroticast, a podcast that's known to bring the big ideas of rhetoric into everyday life. So good morning, Dr. Thorpe. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you also for enduring our technical difficulties this morning. No problem. So um, all of the guests on the show, uh, first I'd like to ask a a different question, but all the guests on the show are podcasters and we get together to talk about podcasting and what goes into making episodes of podcasts. And so uh, I'd like to start off with this question. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, thank you. It is so lovely to be here talking with you about something I enjoy. Awesome. So then uh, that thing that you enjoy is, I assume, podcasting. And what is the name of your show for the listeners and where can they find it? The name of my show is Chiroticast. That's K-A-I-R-O-T-I-C-A-S-T. Um The name comes from the word kairos, which is a Greek word. It's an important word in rhetorical studies and obviously podcasts put together. And when I first came up with that, there were some people who were like, oh, it's so bougie. And I was like, well, bougie or rhetorical? Mm, Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, Exactly, right? (laughs) Um, But I thought it kind of encompassed what I was trying to do. Um, it can be found pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. It's on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Um, it's accessible in any number of places. Um, it's also on chiroticast.com. You can download episodes on our website. Um, we've got a pretty, pretty good website for um, just kind of a homegrown operation. Right. So then um, a lot of my other guests do interview based uh, podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yours isn't really set up that way. How is yours set up and uh, what's the format and aim of your show? So um, I am a solo caster, which is very different from a lot of other podcasts, as you noted. Um, And there are some definite differences there. So I'll answer like aim of the show and then i'll talk about what it means to be a solo caster um the show is about how rhetoric is applicable um my goal is to and i talk about this in the intro of every show but the goal is to show how um rhetoric is not this like big academic effect kind of thing that you do a bunch of nasal navel gazing and that's the end of it. It's only like ivory tower folks who ever have anything to do with it. But the show is supposed to show people it's actually really useful in understanding the world that we live in. So I try to, and some episodes are more rhetorical and some episodes are more current events. And But the goal of the show overall is to explore an issue that is relevant or current and show how rhetoric helps to understand that issue. Um, As for solo casting, 
one of the big differences in a solo cast versus an interview um, is in a solo cast, you do all the research and all the writing and all the work up front. So I might take half a day writing an episode. And that's not to say that in an interview episode, you don't do a lot of work up front, writing questions, researching uh, what you're going to talk about with the interviewer. But I spend, like, my show is pretty heavily scripted. I don't do a lot of, like, off-the-cuff kind of talking. So I spend a lot of time writing the episode. But then the recording is a one-shot deal, and editing is way easier than it is for an interview. Uh, So where some podcasters spend hours editing an episode because it was an interview, my work is spent doing a lot of research and a lot of time writing, and then the recording takes 25-30 minutes, and we can fix issues in the recording right there. And then my tech guy, because we always talk about in the podcast, it's a we issue. It's a team effort. I have a tech guy. He spends 30 minutes editing an episode as opposed to the hours that some people spend on interview episodes. And the work is very much front loaded as a solo caster. Does that make sense? It does. It does indeed. Uh, So it's, um, uh, while the the work might be different and and front loaded, it seems like it it's as intensive, if not more intensive, than the work that's done in the back end. Yeah, it's just a very different kind of work. So I spend half a day writing an episode, but I don't have to do as much in post post production, right? So then, why podcasting? I guess that's the the big question. Uh, why podcasting? What drew you to this oral mode of communication? So, I mean, I guess it's sort of a a silly story in some ways, but my husband and my friends always used to say things like, oh, you should have your own YouTube channel. And we always used to joke that I would love to do something like Drunk History, where I just got together with a bunch of really smart people and we would have a few drinks and we would talk about rhetoric and we would put it online. Um, But then one day people were like, no, really, you should do that. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know if that would really be good for my career to just like get drunk and get online and talk about rhetoric um and then people were like well maybe no not the drinking part like don't do that but like talk about this stuff like this is interesting and i was just vain enough to listen to them um and then i decided well maybe i don't want a youtube channel because i don't like the idea of people looking at me all the time But I did like the idea of a podcast because I could be heard and people wouldn't be staring at my face on a computer. And then I thought about it. People could listen while they do the dishes or went on a walk or whatever. And I was like, that's that appeals to me. And I did it because I think this stuff is really interesting and it's worth talking about. And it's like I said, when we were talking in an earlier question, I think it's important to me for people to understand that this stuff that I've basically dedicated my life to is applicable and it's important. Um, I wouldn't have gotten a PhD and decided to be a professor of rhetoric if I didn't think this was like an important and applicable and like central part of the human experience. 
And I want that to be something that I can share, not just in the class, but as kind of a public facing thing. And I wanted to talk about this in a way that was both rigorous and accessible. That's one of the things I try to do in my classes. And this is a way to do it outside of the class as well. And I think that's something we need more academics to do to make the hard stuff something that everyday people can understand. Right. I really like that idea of, in fact, that's one of the things I liked about the episodes that I've listened to of your show is the, the applicability, the, the departure from pure theory that you bring to the, the idea of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. It's very, very refreshing. The draw you said was, was sort of by encouragement from uh, peers, friends, family, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the beginning, you got comments that ranged from, um, we, we think the name is just really bougie and we yeah. also think that, uh, you should really do this. So yeah. those are the, the comments you got both at the beginning. What sort of comments do you, are you getting now and, and who are they from? Um, so I've been really lucky that all throughout I have gotten nothing but support from friends, colleagues, etc. For example, when I had, when I hit the year mark for, podcasting episodes one of my colleagues at work was like oh we have to make an announcement in the um school email system and we're going to make this a big deal at brockport and so people have been really supportive um i have never had any detractors in all of this nobody's ever been like oh this is just a little side hobby people have always been like this is great this is really important i'm really proud of you um i think i'm just really lucky that i have like wildly supportive friends uh not everybody has that i don't know why i'm so blessed to just have good people in my life but i do and i'm really thankful for that but everybody's always like, Oh, I love this. And I'm gonna, I can't wait for the next episode. And I'm like, I, I hope it's good. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I make you happy. That whole adage about gift horses and mouths. (laughs) So, so then, um, so I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you got uh, nothing. Was there ever any like critique about, you know, pointers about things that you could do maybe differently or better? I have had some people who have said, well, maybe the politics are a little bit maybe skewed or something like that, which I'm not, I'm not apologetic about in any way. Like I'm, this is not. That might be kind of a product of the time we live in, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I did have somebody write in, a listener write in. Um, this is sort of an interesting anecdote. I had a listener write in to me to say um, I I had said something um, very critical of Trump in one of my episodes. And I had a listener write in and say, well, I'm a professor at a community college and I would love to be able to use this episode in my class, but I don't think I can because I want to use neutral things in class. And I took that seriously, but I wrote her back and I said, well, A, um, this is not specifically meant to be used in class. I'm glad if things can be used in class. I'm always happy to hear that people are using this in class. But since it's not designed to be used in class, I'm not not thinking in terms of can this be a helpful pedagogical tool, so I'm not going to 
make this lesson plan worthy. But B, and this is something that speaks to my experience as much as anything else, um, I told her as a professor, something that I took seriously in 2015 and 2016 was I decided that I didn't want to be somebody who, if somebody asked me, did you say anything or did you do anything when America was in this like time of trial, that I said, no, I was silent. I have a daughter. And if my daughter looks back on this time when she remembers and says, Mom, where were you in all this? I want to be able to say, well, I spoke out. Uh, and that means in the classroom, and that means publicly, and that means in all venues. And I am not going to remain neutral. And that means pedagogically, that means publicly. Yeah, why be a rhetor or a ret yeah. rhetorician if you're just going to be silent? And that's a pedagogical choice as well as a political choice. So that's important to me. And this person did not respond to that. Right. Well, they got their opinion out there. So um, is there a topic that's kind of like your pet topic? Like, do you try to work Kairos into every issue, into every um, podcast? Uh, or is there something that like you're dreaming of wanting to tackle? That's a great question. I don't try to work Kairos into every episode. But I feel like that's kind of like the background of everything, like Kairos in terms of the truth is in the moment or saying the right thing at the right time. I feel like that's just sort of embedded in what I'm trying to do. Um, as for a dream topic, I don't feel like I have a dream topic because I haven't limited myself in any way up to this point. Like if I thought this is what I want to say, I have just said it. One day I thought, I'm thinking about doing an abortion episode. So I just did the abortion episode. I have not put any limits on myself. I have not decided anything was too polemic. I have not decided anything was too challenging. I have just gone for it at every step of the way. And that's been good for me so far. So I don't have a dream topic because if I've dreamt it, I have just done it at this point. So that sounds like one way of embodying and embedding that yeah. Kairos that's in the milieu behind everything that you're doing there. I guess this is the place where we take the technical turn okay, and ask the question, what equipment did you start with? So um, the only difference between the equipment that I started with and the equipment that I'm using now is um, we added a pop filter. Um, we started with, like, this is just indication of like what a low-key homegrown operation we are. Um, in the beginning, we had a homemade pop filter that was just like, I think it was just like a wire hanger with pantyhose over it that we just set up yeah. in front of the mic. <laughs> but, They're absolutely effective. Yeah, but we eventually invested in an actual pop filter. Um, but we have basically used the same equipment from the beginning because we invested in good equipment and it served us well. 
So uh, we use an Audio Techna AT2005 USB. It's a good mic for the price. It's good quality. It gives us professional sound. As I said, we invested in an EJT pop filter. It's low cost. It's very basic, but it mounts to the table. Um, so I can adjust that and move it around and get it to where I need to be. We record in Adobe Audition CS 5.5 and we apply two effects there. And then we move to dark audacity for actual editing. We use Adobe because we have a license and we like the effects and it's very professional. We use dark audacity because it's open source and we're familiar with the software. And that avoids the privacy concerns of regular audacity. You may remember just in the last couple of months, there was a lot of stuff that came out about like audacity had changed some of its terms of service and blah, blah, blah. So we dark audacity. Um, this is hosted on Podbean because it was a good combo of price and features. Um, our website is posted on Linud. Um, and that was just a practical thing because uh, our tech guy uses it for client websites. So it was easy to host there. And our opening and closing music, we license from the composer. And I think that's a good rundown of our tech stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that covers it. So then back to the theoretical. Uh, in fact, to the theoretical, we've been talking yeah. about the practical. Um, so to the theoretical, what are your thoughts about the aural mode of communication and its place in rhetoric, writing, composition, uh, whatever your specialty is? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. It's important to remember that I come at this from a comm studies perspective. I've done a lot of teaching and reading and things like that on the history of rhetoric. I, like, I actually public a textbook on history of rhetoric and rhetorical theory. Like I have, I've put some time in on this and rhetoric started as an aural practice. Uh, rhetoric was first and foremost oratory and public speaking. So it's not much of a stretch for me to see how mediated or oral communication should be a part of rhetoric because that's, what it is that it's for. Like Aristotle was talking about speeches and Cicero and Quintilian were too. Even beyond that, Aspasia and Socrates were creating spaces of dialogue. So it's not weird for rhetoric to be something that you hear. It's just rhetoric getting back to its roots. We think of rhetoric as a written thing because we took comp classes our freshman year, but it didn't start that way. The fact that rhetoric now encompasses so much more than public speaking and rightly has moved beyond Aristotle and Cicero. Like, I don't think we should get bogged down in like dead Greek and Roman guys. You got an amen on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the fact that it's moved beyond that speaks to its relevance and its centrality. And what about the uh, the future of the aural mode? Where do you, where do you see... Uh, for instance, podcasting going in the future or um, maybe audio over video even. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of work being done on things like mediated rhetoric. Um, I like, I don't want to overstep my theoretical bounds, but there's so much quality work in like English departments 
being done and like reading movies as text and reading film as text. So it's not like too much of a stretch to think about reading podcasts as text, reading YouTube as text, that kind of thing. Um, and right, just a little more public facing. Yeah. I think, yeah. So in com studies, the idea of audience is very important. Um, and that was one of the, uh, my master's is in English and my PhD is in communication. So there was kind of a switch there for me. And that was one of the things that was a little bit different in English. We didn't think about audience as much as we did in communication. And that's one of the things that, uh, I think in English, they read movies as text better in calm. They think better about audience and i think we need to kind of combine the strengths of those two so in english if we can read movies or read podcasts or read these other kinds of things as text and calm we need to be able to think about audience if we can combine these two skills i think there will be a really fruitful analysis happening does that make sense yes indeed i'm hearing that you would like to see with the uh, the strengths of both disciplines coming together again as they were united before uh, to form a bright new future for yeah. everyone. I think there's some good stuff going on in both places. I think we need to borrow heavily from each other. So um, let me lay out a little bit of a context here for okay. you. Um, I am teaching uh, for the first time a new media and rhetoric class um, this fall. And I'm asking my students to do a podcast as one of the uh, one of the production uh, projects that we have in the class. So I'm looking for experienced podcasters to say to my beginning podcasters, here's the thing that you should know, or here's the thing that you should do. What's important about podcasting for the beginning podcaster? Okay. So on the one hand, that's very specific to the podcast, but I will make a couple of general comments. Some people need to really focus on the research that goes into every episode. And some people need to really focus on creating dialogue. And some people need to really work on making their podcast lively and personable. So I guess what I would tell people is to decide on what kind of podcast you're going to produce and work toward that goal from the beginning and every time. If you're going for something lighthearted and funny, which is hard because it's hard to be consistently funny. Then you got to hone those jokes and find your audience. If you're going for serious and academic, then you got to research who will be the guests to bring gravitas and prestige to your operation and reach out to them early and regularly. If you're going to be accessible to the layperson, you've got to make sure to keep it interesting without talking down to your audience. But you need to have a basic goal in mind. You can't be highbrow academic one week and slapstick the next, you know? You've got to keep it consistent. I'm like, I'm not going to say branding or anything like that because I think that's crap language and I'm not going to like corporatize this in any way. But you do have to choose an identity. You have to choose an identity and make that core to your podcasting experience. And that's gotta, you've gotta have follow through with that. That's very sound. 
advice indeed. Um, also thinking about those beginning podcasters, um, how important would you say file organization is to the beginning podcaster? Okay. Um, that's a hilarious question um, <laughs> because you're asking the wrong person. Um, my files are all just on one drive and like in one folder in my computer and there's no real organization to them except I know where they are and I know how they are titled. Like they're all titled in order. They're like K001, K002 with a title. Other than that, like I don't have any, they're not in separate files based on anything like this. They're just, here is my drive. Here are my files. Um, some of that is because I've only been doing this about just over a year. So I don't have as many files as people who have been doing this for like three or four years. I am sure I, the day is coming when I'm going to have to figure out, no, like I gotta, I've got to put some effort into this. <laughs> but mm -hmm. for now, I just have a file on my computer that has uh, my audio files and I've got a file on my computer that has, because I include transcripts of my podcasts just for inclusivity purposes. Uh, I have uh, a file that includes transcripts and in one of those files, I have like the text that goes with things like uh, credits for the music, etc. So there's not a lot that goes into it just yet. Mm -hmm. So then um, I think that that indexing of your files is a really important idea for my students to take with them. Um, is there um, maybe an import export folder where you give stuff to your tech tech guy and, and get it back from your tech yeah, guy or, I've got, or do they just access the same? I've got a USB drive that we just like hand back and forth. The movement of data is important as well. Yeah. My tech guy. I refer to him as my tech guy. This is a team effort. My tech guy is my husband. That's Carl. We love him. Oh, <laughs> that's excellent. You love to see it. Yeah. People working together. Um, so if you could travel and if you need to close your eyes for this, this is fine. Okay. If, if you could travel back in time. So you have uh, somehow come into a time machine, but you know that it's only going to be useful for about a minute. And you are about to go back in time right before you've created your first podcast. You meet yourself walking into that building. You leap out of the bushes and you say, Dr. Thorpe, <laughs> you have to know this. <laughs> what is the advice that you would give to your pre-podcasting self? Um, I would say give yourself more time to write than what you think is necessary because there's going to be research that goes into it. There's some tech advice that my tech guy, my husband and I would give each other things like, I mean, basic things that I'm sure, you know, like record some dead space before you start recording the actual podcast, leave some dead space after mistakes so you can easily find those on the recording and go edit them out. If you need to re-record anything, do it immediately so it's easier to match tone, volume, pitch, and speed. I mean, there's some basic technical things. I would encourage, I would encourage myself to not be hesitant to tackle some of the 
grittier topics that I got to later in the podcast. In the beginning, I was like, oh, I'll just stick with some of these safer things. And later on, I was like, no, I'm going for it. I would encourage myself to go for it in the beginning. Um, yeah, that's what I would have said to myself. Okay. So then here we are at the end. And I, I like to ask this question. What should I have asked you? What uh, were you hoping I might have asked, but I didn't? Um, what would you like to add? Um, if I would add anything, I'd say I guess I'd like to note that there are a lot of people out there that are doing podcasts that deal with rhetoric in many of its manifestations right now. And I think that speaks to how people see rhetoric as a subject as being something that can adapt to new modalities. And historically, that's true. And as I noted before, originally rhetoric was oratory. But then it kind of became writing. And then it sort of became visual rhetoric as well. And then it became networked rhetoric and mediated rhetoric. So I think one of the important questions for us to think about is, is it that we don't know what rhetoric is? Or is it that rhetoric is central to the human experience, but the human experience keeps changing? Now, I know what I think. And the fact that so many rhetoricians are podcasting now seems to indicate that they agree with me. But it's a question worth thinking about if you're going to try to take any of these issues that this podcast raises seriously. And that's something I would encourage us all, especially if you're going to be doing podcasting in, in this vein. Um, that's something I would encourage people to think about. Uh, either as you're podcasting or as you're listening to these podcasts, that's that's a central question I would encourage people to think about. I would like to thank you for uh, stopping by to my little broadcast room. And uh, I would like to thank you for your time and your expertise. And I learned a lot. And I'm hoping that the listener will learn something from your uh, interview as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 